0: Welcome back to another episode of Film Junkies. Uh, if you saw the video this week, you saw that we have a change to the format of the show going forward, uh, starting with the title, which is now going to be Film Junkies with Griff and Friends. Uh, so hopefully, we'll have a lot of episodes out of that. I don't know how many friends I can say I have, but <laughs> hopefully, I'll make some along the way here. Um, yeah, like I mentioned in the video uh, briefly. So, we all get it the way life goes. Uh, Scheduling gets hard sometimes if you're working one or two jobs and um, trying to keep up with something on the side might not always be the top priority. And um, that's understandable, I'm sure, for all you guys. It's understandable for me. Um, And so, because of that, uh, Trey and I are at least going to um, change up as far as both of us being on the podcast every week. Um, Hopefully, as he is one of my friends, uh, he will continue to, um, do guest spots on the podcast and talk about movies with us, but as far as a reoccurring weekly presence, um, that will no longer be a part of the podcast. Um, like I said, Trey's got some stuff, uh, going on as far as career goes, and, um, it's understandable that, um, he can't always be a part of this. So, this podcast being something that I am extremely passionate about and have wanted to start for a long time, uh, I will be continuing to release these on a weekly basis, the video and the podcast. Um, but now the format is something that I'm really excited for because it's something that um, I came up with and I think would will be a great opportunity um, to get a lot of people involved in this podcast uh, more than hopefully all are already involved. Um, but essentially, the plan is to um, have rotating guests on the podcast with me different people who i've grown up with who i've met recently who i know from some way or another and who can at least agree that they enjoy uh film to an extent that that they can talk about one of them with me so um in the coming episodes i'll have an array of people on here with me and i think it'll open a really cool discussion as far as um understanding different people from different backgrounds and uh one thing that I think can bring people together um, pretty seamlessly which is film. So moving on into today's episode I have my top five must-see movies on Hulu. Uh, So last week if you tuned in you heard that I did my top five movies on Netflix and considering Hulu is another major streaming service I decided that I would try and do an episode about some movies on Hulu because I do have both services as well as HBO and Amazon, and which I assume isn't surprising considering uh, this is something that I've talked so much about so far. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to get into my top five must-see Hulu movies, starting with number five, A Quiet Place, uh, with a Rotten Tomatoes rating of 95%. We're starting it off hot here with an incredibly well-received film. Um, so, to give, just like we did last week, I'll start out and give you a little plot summary here. So, on a devastated Earth overrun by lethal and ever-hearing predators of a possible extraterrestrial origin, the Abbots struggle to survive in a desolate New York City in a new era of utter silence. As this new type of invader is attracted to noise, even the slightest of sounds can be deadly, However, it's been already 12 months since the powerful monster's first sightings, and this resilient family still stands strong. To learn the rules of survival in this muted dystopia is essential. Nevertheless, an otherwise joyous event is threatening in already frail stability. Now more than ever, don't make a sound. Chills! <laughs> I'm sure you got... Uh, this film, A Quiet Place, definitely plays into... It's named that for a reason. There's, uh... Um, Silence is a huge factor in this film. Um, It has a great cast. Uh, Emily Blunt and John Krasinski make up the parents in the film. Um, Coincidentally, John Krasinski co-wrote and also made his directorial debut with this film. Uh, If you're not familiar with him, which I'm sure everyone is at this point, he is most famously known for playing uh, Jim uh, from The Office, the TV show. But yeah, this was his directorial debut, and his wife, Emily Blunt, co-starred with him. Uh, We also saw uh, Melissa Simmons, uh, who's an actress who played the daughter in the film, who uh, I want to start by saying is actually deaf. Uh, She's deaf in the film, Uh, and being a film that's focused around silence so much, that definitely adds another layer into the quietness of the movie and the way that that interacts with the, the things we see on screen this film was actually nominated for an Oscar for Sound Editing, as well as a Golden Globe nomination for Best Score. So uh, it was funny enough uh, noticeable that the sound uh, was a huge part of this film, whether it be from musical or uh, not lack of dialogue. Um, but John Krasinski, in my opinion, did a great job uh, directing this film, coming out of the gates hot with this I wouldn't call it a horror film, maybe more of like a psychological thriller. Obviously there are the kind of beasts, I guess, that they name them, the monsters uh, that are in there. I guess those are kind of, if there is a a monster or a being, like extraterrestrial being, that's usually categorized in some type of horror film. So I guess you could say it is in that category. But speaking of those uh, monsters, actually, John Krasinski actually played uh, one of the monsters in a motion capture suit for a few scenes. (laughs) Interesting that he would take on another character but never forget that identity theft is not a joke it uh, affects millions of, of families every year <laughs> and that is an office quote in case some of you didn't catch that one but i wanted to move into a, a few things here with the silence being so prevalent in this movie the movie actually only contains about 25 lines of dialogue and so a lot of the big parts of the film are i guess brought together by uh, the silence that we see um, and the the acting emotionally on screens. It's more of a uh, very you need to be paying attention to what's going on on screen. You can't just do one of those, you know, put it on and listen in the background because you're not going to hear much. Um, but with that, in one scene in particular, the bathtub scene with Emily Blunt, uh, if you've seen the film, you're familiar with this. It's an incredible uh, scene in which she gets very emotional and just shows how talented she is as an actress but as the director john krasinski said that this scene was actually shot in one take and then as soon as he said cut blunt immediately fell out of character and asked the crew what everyone was having for lunch and so just to show that she can just like switch it on and off as far as how good of an actress she is um definitely showed in that scene at least and uh, throughout the film we see her ability to drive a film purely based on the way that she can act. So definitely a hot start there as far as my five on Hulu, uh, A Quiet Place. Definitely check that one out. I know that, at least in in my group of uh, friends and family, a lot of people uh, highly recommended that one. And I ended up seeing it from the uh, glowing recommendation of my brother, um, who, now with his new format, likely will be on the podcast in uh, the coming weeks here. So we're excited for that. Um, But moving on to our number four movie on hulu arrival this film has a rotten tomatoes rating of 94 percent. and it's one that upon its release it definitely uh turned some heads and uh drew some incredible responses as far as the way people enjoyed this film but as always the uh the plot here aliens have landed on earth in 12 different locations language professor louise banks joins a u.s army team at one of the locations in montana Her job is to try to learn the aliens' language and enable communication with them. Through regular meetings with two of the aliens, she starts to compile a record of the aliens' language, a series of drawn symbols. The important question is, are they friend or foe? Other nations with alien landings are starting to view them as a threat, making it a race against time, as war with the aliens could erupt at any moment. Um, So this is another film that, kind of like A Quiet Place, Depends pretty heavily on the timing and kind of the suspense that you see on screen. Because, uh, as I mentioned in that plot summary, there are things throughout that um, you're kind of like on the edges of your, your seat, like, okay, not a ton is happening, but there's also so much happening that we know uh, is in the background and we're waiting to see um, what is going to come up next on the screen. This film has a great cast. Uh, at least for the, the few that are featured in the movie as, as prevalent actors or act- actresses. Uh, Amy Adams is the star, in my opinion. Um, Jeremy Renner is a supporting actor. And then Forrest Whitaker, as well, has a role in this movie. So this film was directed by Denis Villeneuve. Uh, he is, in my opinion, an incredible director. Did a fantastic job with this film. Um, some of his other films he's directed include Blade Runner 2049, Sicario and Prisoners, which is the film with, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and, uh, Hugh Jackman. If you're not familiar with that, definitely look into that one. Cause that's a great movie. Sicario and Blade Runner 2049 are, are great as well. Um, but he definitely has a look that he adds to his f- films, kind of an eerie sense of, um, you, you're not sure what's going to happen next. And that definitely plays well into what this film is about. And, uh, played well with critics and and, uh, fans of the film, or just general audience goers. As far as awards go, this was an Oscar winner for Sound Editing, as well as being nominated for, take a deep breath here, Best Picture, Best Directing, Adapted Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Film Editing, Sound Mixing, and Production Design. So uh, they tried to (laughs) get all of them there as far as the Oscar nominations go. Uh, and then at the Golden Globes, Amy Adams was actually nominated for Best Actress, uh, and they were nominated for Best Score at the Golden Globes as well. So, uh, like I said, this one definitely left a uh, a lasting impact on all who saw it, me included. Obviously, it's in my top five here of, of movies on Hulu, and even if it weren't on Hulu, I'd recommend it to people. So, Amy Adams, as I mentioned... Start in this film she was actually the first choice to play the title character and she agreed to playing the role within 24 hours of receiving the script so uh, this one even to her she knew it was going to be something that needed to be made and that she wanted to be attached to and I'm, I'm personally glad that she made that decision so with that being that Denis the director uh, chose her he and screenwriter Eric uh, Heiser created a fully functioning visual alien language Uh, they managed to create a logogram bible which included over a hundred different completely operative logograms 71 of which are actually featured in the movie so this this film was very meticulously made this film was actually based off of a, a book and they made sure that they really brought out the exact details that were beautifully laid out in the book that this film was based on um like I said, even going to the point of creating an entire functioning language to use in the film, which is impeccable on screen. Um, I remember watching this for the first time, and the the several times I've watched it after, it's just such an incredible concept, and um, it's brought on screen so well, in fact, that Ted Chang, who wrote the story that the film is based on, approved the film, and he said, "...I think it's the rarest of the rare, and that it's both a good movie and a good adaptation." And when you consider the track record of adaptations of written science fiction, that's almost literally a miracle. (laughs) And so I would agree there are uh, few and far between as far as the amount of films that are adapted in in the science fiction genre at least that come together and show something you want to see. Refer to uh, Ready Player One, if you would uh, put that in science fiction, maybe you could put that in there. But uh, that adaptation of the book into a movie is... Um, As I've mentioned before, in my opinion, one of the most horrendous adaptations of literature I've ever seen, and it infuriates me, and so I will not waste any more breath talking about it. (laughs) Um, But that is my number four film, Arrival, um, one that takes a very interesting topic um, that I like to learn more about as far as extraterrestrial life um, or, or just living creatures, beings... Planets, plants, anything outside of the earth. Uh, and, and drawing that in and welcoming it in a way that we try to understand uh, life outside of our own. And it's very well done. It's it's makes that topic of science fiction relation into something that looks like an art film to me. So, that's my number four film. Moving on to number three. We have Sorry to Bother You. Now, this film has a Rotten Tomatoes rating of 93%. And it's one that I loved. It I've mentioned, I think, before, possibly, um, maybe when we did our Black Klansman episode, that this film uh, is one that resembles one like Get Out, if you're familiar with that, from Jordan Peele. It's a film that definitely has underlying meaning. Uh, it focuses on things that are in your face, but at the same time you have to think about them to realize that they're there. Um, And I think this film is put together very well and shows so many different things that I haven't seen before in a film, and I love that about it. So here is the plot for Sorry to Bother You. In an alternate version of Oakland, California, Cassius Green gets a telemarketing job and finds the commission-paid job a dispiriting struggle as a black man selling to predominantly white people over the phone. That changes when a veteran advises him to use his white voice and the attitude behind it to make himself more appealing to customers. With a bizarrely high-pitched accent, Cassius becomes a success even as his colleagues form a union to improve their miserable jobs. Regardless, Cassius finds himself promoted to a power caller, selling the most morally repugnant but lucrative products and services as his connection to his girlfriend and colleagues fades away. However, Cassius's conscience arises anew as he finds himself in the midst of his boss's bizarre world of condescending, bigoted decadence and his sinister plans to create the perfect, subservient workforce with Cassius's help. So, a lot in that. (laughs) It's uh, it's a film that talks about several different topics that I've mentioned on this podcast before are things that I'm interested in, um, mainly looking into communities of people that are uh, underprivileged and, um, oppressed in a lot of senses and, and trying to give them those false hopes of a way out. Um, and this film definitely highlights that and shows just what someone will do who has nothing to try and get something. Um, even to go so far as to abandon everything that they know, which this film definitely shows, uh, just at the beginning of, like I said, the veteran, a caller advised Cassius at the beginning to use a white voice on the phone to help him sell things, um, which is a satirically shown thing in the film where he ends up actually speaking and his his voice is dubbed over by the voice of a white person to show that this is really how he is able to get people to listen to him, which is sad. But at the same time, uh, it's a it's a powerful thing to see on screen. And it shows that, um, this is a topic that, even if you make it into something so outlandish, it really is true, and his voice is actually replaced by David Cross, so you go from, uh, a black actor like Keith Stanfield, who plays Cassius, the main character, he is in the show Atlanta, he was actually in Get Out, and you see him talking, but his voice is David Cross, who, if you're familiar with him, is arguably one of the whitest people ever, <laughs> so, Uh, We have Lakey Stanfield in this film. We have Tessa Thompson as Detroit, which is the name of her character. Um, And then Danny Glover has a brief cameo, actually, as that um, veteran advisor, veteran caller that I mentioned. And then we have Army Hammer, who I love. I think he's an incredible actor. Um, He plays the CEO boss that is bigoted in every way and tries to enforce this crazy form of living on people. Army Hammer, if you're not familiar with him, is in the film Call Me By Your Name, which I hope to do an episode on. It's it's one of the greatest art films I think I've ever seen. But with uh, Sorry to Bother You being concerned, this was written and directed by Boots Riley. Uh, This was actually his directorial debut. And I think another example of coming out of the Gates Hot as far as having something to say and getting it out there, same with Jordan Peele, his directorial debut being with Get Out. They're both films that challenged and push the envelope of what we've seen on screen before, and definitely talk about things that I think need to be talked about. Uh, As far as casting is concerned, Donald Glover was actually originally planned to play the lead role of Cassius Green, but was unable to do so due to scheduling conflicts with Solo, which was the Star Wars film that he was in as Lando Calrissian, Um, and he actually recommended to Boots Riley that his co-star on Atlanta, Lake Heath Stanfield, play the role, which obviously ended up working out. Um, I would have loved to see Donald Glover in this role because I'd love to see Donald Glover do anything because he is talented enough to do anything. <laughs> but nonetheless, Lakey e. Stanfield does a great job in this film. Um, definitely brings the character to life and it, it shows there's a sense of like realness and attachment to the character that you see him bring out on screen and really giving an attention to these kind of struggles and Uh, in an apparent way and also in a subliminal way which we see a lot of subliminal hints to that one being uh, in the film at one point Detroit the character that I mentioned is played by Tessa Thompson she's wearing a pair of earrings with the phrases bury the rag and deepen your face on them these are actually lyrics from the song the lonesome death of Hattie Carroll by Bob Dylan which is a protest song about a poor African-American woman murdered by a wealthy white man and so Just that, her earrings say that, and it's a kind of inception of the idea that this film is about uh, taking a stance, fighting back, and uh, showing that this isn't a situation people want to be in, especially people of color. But like a lot of other films we've seen now, uh, actually another film in 2018, uh, Black Klansman, that we've talked about, also involved a main character uh, who was a black man doing a white voice on the phone. Um, And so we've seen like this is a reoccurring thing where people feel like they have to act a certain way to fit in and into a certain culture. And while this film does go kind of off the wall and and show a crazy concept, it definitely has some lasting uh, resonance uh, with the topics that you definitely are feeling and seeing on screen. And I would recommend this endlessly to people. So that is my number three movie. Now moving on to number two, I have The Shining, which has a Rotten Tomatoes rating of 86%. Uh, Throwing it back a bit, this film is actually from 1980. I hope most people are familiar with this or have at least heard of it. Um, But nonetheless, as always, I will give you a plot summary. A man, his son, and wife become the winter caretakers of an isolated hotel where Danny the son sees disturbing visions of the hotel's past using a telepathic gift known as The Shining. The father, Jack Torrance, is underway in a writing project when he slowly slips into insanity as a result of cabin fever and former guests of the hotel's ghosts. After being convinced by a waiter's ghost to correct the family, Jack goes completely insane. The only thing that can save Danny and his mother is The Shining. So, a horror film. One of the first ones that I've talked about on this podcast thus far. Starring Jack Nicholson, an incredible actor. I love all of his work. I think he is immensely talented. um, And this film is one of my favorites of him. As well as one of my favorites from Stanley Kubrick, who wrote and directed this film. It's a classic Kubrick film. It definitely shows his crazy, off-the-wall style of writing and directing. And this was a film that definitely required a lot out of the cast. From a lot of the research I've done, that was a reoccurring theme that I saw. That the people involved with this went through a lot. And that's mainly what I want to talk about with covering this movie. The, The movie itself is incredible. It's a great idea. It's scary. It's thrilling. It's so many words (laughs) to describe this. Um, But I wanted to talk about the things that the actors went through while making it um, just so you can kind of get a better understanding of really what they put into bringing this film to life. So Danny Lloyd is the name of the child actor who plays the son in the film. He was very young when this film was created and because he was so young and since this was actually his first acting job, the director Stanley Kubrick was highly protective of him. So during the shooting of the movie, uh, Danny Lloyd was under the impression that the film he was making was actually a drama, not a horror movie. In fact, when Wendy carries Danny away uh, while shouting at Jack in the Colorado Lounge, this is a scene in the film, she's actually carrying a life-sized dummy so that Danny would not have to be in the scene. He only realized the truth several years later when he was shown a heavily edited version of the film. He did not see the actual uncut version of this film until he was 17, which was 11 years after he had made this film. I don't know how this kid was so sheltered that he never saw that movie, that's crazy to me, but that I guess will show you that there are some, uh, <laughs> some deep topics in this film, uh, it shows some pretty uh, intense horror scenes, and uh, it shouldn't be shown to kids, um, but nonetheless there are kids in the movie, it's crazy though that they could cover that up from him. But he does kind of have a trademark in this film. Danny Lloyd does, moving his finger up and down when he's talking as Tony, which is, I don't want to give away a bunch of spoilers, but it's an alter ego, essentially, of his. So the idea for him to move his finger was actually his own idea. He did it spontaneously during his very first audition for the role, and uh, it was part of the reason why Stanley Kubrick decided to cast him for this film. But moving on to the more prominent actors in this film, jack nicholson and Shelley duvall they actually both have expressed open resentment against the reception of this film feeling that critics and audiences credited stanley kubrick solely for the film's success without considering the efforts of the actors crew or the strength of stephen king's underlying material as this was loosely based off of the book that stephen king wrote about um, this same topic So Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall have said that the film was one of the hardest of their careers. In fact, Nicholson considers Duvall's performance the most difficult role he's ever seen an actress take on. And Duvall also considers her performance the hardest of her life. Um, She actually suffered from nervous exhaustion throughout filming this, including physical illness and hair loss. Which is incredible to hear that an actress went through that to make this film. But when when you see this film, it's like, okay... All of these emotions on screen, they experience this. It's nothing that is by any means not great acting. Everything on there is focused around the visceral performances that these actors and actresses give. And it's something that is a large part of the reason why I like this film. is because of the acting in it that really brings the story to life. So according to Shelley Duvall, uh, one of the scenes that is pretty infamous in this film... Uh, one of her with a one of the most blood-boiling screams ever in a, in a horror film when uh, the scene, the here's Johnny scene, uh, when that took place, um, it actually took three days to film, and they used over 60 doors. Um, so actually in that scene in which uh, Jack breaks down the bathroom door, the props department built a door that could be easily broken. However, and I did not know this, Jack Nicholson had worked as a volunteer fire marshal, and so he could—he tore the door apart far too easily. The props department then had to, or were forced to, build a stronger door, and obviously, uh, sixty of them, considering how long it took to film this. Um, it's a—it's a physical film, though. There's a lot put into it. Um, there's actually even been a couple different documentaries made about the making of this film. Uh, it's a cult classic. It's one that. I can't recommend enough. I don't. I'm not even a huge horror film person. I I don't love the idea of watching something with the purpose of being scared. That's not. I don't understand why anyone openly and willingly invites that feeling. But this is a film that's an exception for me in this genre, where there's an underlying story that is great, and I love watching it. Um, so definitely check that one out. That's my number two must see movie on Hulu. And moving on. the number one film I recommend on Hulu which according to a lot of the articles I read is actually the most watched film on Hulu Uh, we have The Dark Knight so as I've mentioned before, huge superhero guy, huge comic book movie guy and this is in my opinion one of the best adaptations of a comic book ever in the history of film I'm actually going to, I'm planning to do a solo episode on this movie, and so I don't, I'm not going to talk endlessly about it, but I do have some things to say, Uh, starting out with the Rotten Tomatoes rating of a 94%, I'm going to give you the uh, spine-tingling plot to this film, I hope a lot of you have seen it, but nonetheless, I like to get into that, so, Gotham's new district attorney has been elected. His name is Harvey Dent, and he has a radical new agenda that threatens to take down Gotham's organized crime underworld once and for all with an iron fist. But the emergence of the rogue vigilante known as Batman has caused problems for Dent and his agenda. A new criminal mastermind known as the Joker has arrived and aims to take Gotham out from under Harvey Dent's iron fist. The Joker stages a masterfully planned bank robbery and robs the Gotham mob blind, He uses this money to stage a series of horrific and strategic attacks against the city and its people, each one carefully planned and aimed at Dent and Batman while causing the rest of the city to enter panic mode. Meanwhile, Batman thinks he might have found a lead to the Joker thanks to Wayne Enterprise's dealings with a shady Chinese banker, and that takes Batman and Alfred to Hong Kong. The Joker has no rules, but Batman has only one, and the Joker aims to make Batman break his only rule but who will be the one to take him out? Will it be Rogue Vigilante Batman, or will it be elected official Harvey Dent, the new hero with a face? So, that's my uh, thrilling plot summary of The Dark Knight. Uh, This is one of my favorite films of all time. Uh, Definitely up there uh, in my top superhero films. But... It's got an incredible cast, just to name a few. We've got Christian Bale, Heath Ledger, Aaron Eckhart, Michael Caine, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Gary Oldman, and Morgan Freeman. Just to name a few, there are a lot more people that are, are recognizable in this film. Uh, it was written and directed by Christopher Nolan, who is one of my favorite directors of all time. In my opinion, the the trilogy of the three Batman films that he uh, directed are some of, if not the best um, superhero films that have ever been created. At least the very best by DC. Uh, so this is a film that, like we've talked about before, is one that kind of breaks the mold of the critics and the academy and whatnot, award shows, shying away from these types of films. It actually won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, which went to Heath Ledger after he had passed away. Rest in peace to him. He's an He was an incredible actor um, and this performance that he gave is timeless it is unforgettable it's crazy to think that someone could have changed this much to portray a character on screen but it also won for best sound editing the oscar Um, it was nominated for best cinematography film editing art direction makeup sound mixing and visual effects so not just getting shied away but fully supported as far as the oscars go um, Heath Ledger also won the Golden Globe for best supporting actor. And to talk briefly about his performance, uh, Michael Caine gave his opinion on Heath Ledger's performance, um, and talked about how he topped Jack Nicholson's, uh, Joker, who we mentioned in the last movie I talked about, uh, The Shining. He, Jack Nicholson actually did play the Joker in 1989. Uh, but Michael Caine said, Jack was like a clown figure, benign, but wicked, maybe a killer old uncle. He could be funny and make you laugh. Heath's gone in a completely different direction to Jack. He's like a really scary psychopath. He's a lovely guy, and his Joker is going to be a hell of a revelation in this picture. Michael Caine bases this belief on a scene where the Joker pays a visit to Bruce Wayne's penthouse. If you've seen the film, you're familiar with this. Michael Caine had actually never met Heath Ledger before, so when Ledger arrived and performed, he gave Michael Caine such a fright that he actually forgot his lines in the scene. And if you watch it back knowing that, you can definitely tell how blown away he is by this performance. Um, but Heath Ledger put so much into this movie, and it's so apparent on the screen in part of the film where the director does some homemade, or I'm sorry, when the Joker gives some homemade videos that he sends to uh, GCN, their uh, news uh, source uh, in the film. Heath Ledger actually directed both of those homemade videos. So the first video involving the fake Batman was done under. Uh, Christopher Nolan's supervision, and then Nolan thought Ledger had done so well with that sequence, he felt there was no need for him to be there when it came time to film the scene where the reporter Mike Engel reads the Joker's statement. He put his trust in Ledger and let him do whatever he wanted, ultimately pleased with the result after he'd seen the outcome. So to have Christopher Nolan uh, freely allow a actor on one of his films to direct two different segments that are going to be featured in the film... Definitely is a nod to Heath Ledger and shows just how talented he was. So in preparation for his role as the Joker, Heath Ledger actually hid away in a motel room for about six weeks. Uh, During this extended stay of seclusion, Ledger delved deeply into the psychology of the character. He devoted himself to developing the Joker's every tick, namely the voice, the sadistic sounding laugh, Uh, For The Voice, Ledger's goal actually was to create a tone that didn't echo the work of Jack Nicholson Uh, in his performance. He wanted something completely original which I think he 100% achieved. Uh, Ledger's interpretation of the Joker's appearance was primarily based on the chaotic, disheveled look of punk rocker Sid Vicious combined with the psychotic mannerisms of Malcolm McDowell's character uh, Alex DeLarge from A Clockwork Orange, which is a crazy mashup to, to base a character off of. But Winning the Best Supporting Oscar, it was so well-deserved for him in this. Um, It was actually the first time an Academy Award had been awarded in a major category to a comic book movie. So he essentially ushered in this wave we're seeing now and and opened the doors for these types of films to be recognized as legitimate contributions to the cinematic uh, history, and... It's one of my favorite performances in all of film. It's one that you can definitely see. He, if method acting is, <laughs> it can be a testament to what you can show on, on screen. This is 100% a uh, showcase of that. Throughout the film, he drops these just crazy things that, that made the film, looking back on it, so much better that weren't in the script, for example. After the Joker exits the hospital and he goes to press the button on the detonator uh, to blow it up, there's a pause between the explosions and that part wasn't scripted. And Heath Ledger just started acting. uh, If you've seen the film, you know he starts dancing around trying to press the button and whatnot. That wasn't in the script. He just did that because there was a delay that wasn't scheduled for, and he knew he needed to fill the space and gave us that. Uh, Going on from that, Christian Bale stated in an interview that during the interrogation scene in which... Uh, uh, batman is interrogating the joker heath ledger wanted him to beat him as hard as he could to get the real feeling of what was required from the scene which i, I think christian bale is another incredible actor um, i want to talk about a couple of his films uh, at some point on the podcast but I, I can't imagine having heath ledger ask you that too and seeing what he was like on screen and, and trying to bring something out of that person and, and what he attributed to the film but obviously it was well received this film actually made more money than Batman Begins. The uh, film that came out before this one, it made more money than Batman Begins' entire domestic run in only six days after its release, which is astounding. The, like, the entire time that Batman was in theaters, six days is all it took for them to to get more money from this second film. And on the topic of making money, this was actually the first comic book movie to reach the $1 billion mark worldwide, uh, and deservedly so. It's one that... Gosh, I I don't know how many times I've seen this movie. I sit down and and will watch it probably every few months or so just because it's one that you never get disappointed in seeing. And um, I don't really feel like doing my Joker impression, but I have developed one from (laughs) watching this film. The character is so incredible. You can't watch this movie and then not at least recite one line talking like the Joker. But it's one that even if you're not someone who's into superhero films... The way that Christopher Nolan created the three of these films on screen, specifically this one, though, it's not like it's a superhero movie like the ones we see now with the Avengers and Marvel in and, and the kind of trademark way that they make films. They all kind of look the same. These films are like the cinematography. It's not a superhero movie. Like, you're so attached to these characters in a way that it's unlike anything I've ever seen in this genre of film. So, I can't recommend that one highly enough. And that closes out my top five movies that you must see on Hulu. To run it back for you, the number five film was A Quiet Place. Number four was Arrival. Number three, I had Sorry to Bother You. Number two, The Shining. And my number one must-see movie on Hulu is The Dark Knight. And that wraps it up for me on another episode. And like I did last week, I wanted to also give you guys some honorable mentions, uh, movies that are on Hulu that I think you should watch. Um, But I just wanted to talk about the other five a little bit more. Those honorable mentions are Little Miss Sunshine, If Beale Street Could Talk, Rain Man, Three Identical Strangers, Wayne's World, Wedding Crashers, Wonder, Shutter Island, and Free Solo. Check out all of those as well as the five that I already talked about. And as always, thank you guys for listening. And give me any of your recommendations on any of my social media accounts for the podcast because I'd love to um, talk about any film you're interested in. And now with this new format too, if any of our listeners would ever want to be on the podcast, feel free to reach out to me. And if you've got a film or just a desire to talk, (laughs) whatever your thoughts might be, as long as they're film related, I'd love to uh, work something out. So thank you guys for listening to another episode of Film Junkies.